0: Well, welcome everyone to the Canon Illuminate podcast series. My name's Bob Pickles. I'm head of corporate and government affairs at Canon and the host of the Canon Illuminate podcast series. Welcome to the latest episode of Illuminate Connects. Our subject today is how the pandemic is affecting our workforce. And I'm delighted to welcome three excellent speakers to the podcast today. Starting with Debbie Brown, who, after a series of HR roles in a variety of regions and countries, is now HR Director at Canon UK and Ireland. I'm also joined by Nicola Johnson, who is one of our Learning and Development Specialists within Canon's HR team. And finally, Johnny Jacobs finance director at Starbucks and an advocate for mental well-being and mental fitness in the workplace. Johnny is also a trustee of the Mental Health Foundation, the UK's leading charity for everyone's mental health. But looking back over the last couple of months, many organisations have been forced into working remotely where possible. Could you talk me through how this has impacted Canon? And Debbie, I'd like to start with you on this and maybe share some examples of how the organisation and your HR team have had to adapt to this change?
1: So, like many organisations and businesses, obviously, we had to go into lockdown very quickly. Um, And at Canon, I think we knew that this was what I would call a moment that mattered for our employees. Um, And what I mean by that is the way we managed the situation and the way we supported our employees at that point um, and through this period um, would really have a direct impact on their future engagement levels, um, and how they felt about the organisation. From a leadership perspective, our absolute number one priority was the health and well-being of our employees, um, and of course, their families. And alongside that, naturally, we wanted to get help them get up and running, um, working from home as, as quickly and as easily as they could, if, of course, their role enabled that. Many, many roles did, but there were some roles where people of the nature of their job really couldn't do that from home. So, some of the steps that we took, um, we made sure that as a leadership team, we were communicating really regularly with our employees and in particular with our managers, actually, because our management population, of course, also played a really key role. Um, in this and supporting the employees in their teams. And then from our HR team, and I would say in particular, the people development team, very early on, we started sharing quite a lot of materials uh, to support managers and employees. So, that would include things like how to manage remotely, how to work effectively at home, obviously, the health and safety aspects we were sharing and also some well-being tips and guidelines, um, and in particular around mental health, so mental health awareness for managers. And on that topic, we also have um, a whole network of mental health champions across the business. And we engage them because they, of course, played a really important and significant um, support role during these times.
0: Mm, That's fascinating, Debbie. And and obviously, um, that thing about acting quickly, providing focus and support for managers uh, obviously played a big role. Johnny, I'd like to come to you now. Um, Based on your role as a mental health champion, what's the things that you've seen that stand out in the areas that Debbie was just talking about?
2: This is a moment in time. Mental health has really shot up the national consciousness and internationally for that matter. In prior to COVID, the World Health Organization had stated that mental health could be the number one disease by 2030. And that was before the World Health Organization recognizing the accelerating effects of COVID and how that is having a huge impact in our lives. Whether it's that fear of contracting the virus or the significant changes to our lives. And we know that humans are very good at dealing with change, but not so good at dealing with uncertainty. And clearly, this is an uncertain time. And the impact that that can have on our mental health can be huge as we really think about those new realities that we're now faced with. And the realities of not being able to have as much physical contact, for example, with our friends and families and and colleagues. So it's a huge issue. It's also a moment in time, I think, because burnout, that term burnout is becoming even more significant right now. And it's entering the mainstream conversation I think we're seeing that workplaces. And actually, even in 2019, the term burnout became recognised as a syndrome. And I think that tells you this true sense and impact that this term can have as we all work an awful lot longer hours. And COVID-19 has gone on to be an accelerator of that.
0: Really interesting, Johnny. And how important is psychological safety in all this? I think that's
2: a term, Bob, that we're going to hear more and more of. And for some people, it might be a new concept. For others, they may be used to, to working with it. And it's that fear of negative consequences that might come from one's image or, or the impact on a career as a result of saying something, you know, fearing that we might be blamed for something. And it's that belief that we're taking some type of risk in an unsafe environment that could lead to some type of negative impact. And I think psychological safety will become key. It will become key as an enabler for organizational performance. There's lots of studies out there that show the positive impact that psychological safe environments can have on product innovation, can have on company growth. And there's also a correlation between not having psychological safety and not growing. And that's why the likes of Google, for example, put psychological safety at the heart of what they do. But I also think psychological safety is really important for mental health. We want to feel safe. We want to feel like it's a place that it's okay to be ourselves and just to be without fearing something. And we will talk all the time about physical hazards, but when do we really talk about psychological hazards? Where do we see these psychological safety signs? We don't. And finally, I think psychological safety can play a massive role right now, particularly in a very topical issue of inclusivity and diversity. And feeling that you can be yourself and be treated with respect and and that you can bring your whole self and you're valued and you're included has never been so important right now, particularly across the inclusivity and diversity agenda.
0: Yeah, and I suppose if we want our employees to bring their best selves to work, which is surely what we do do, whether they're working at home or, or wherever they may be working, then those are the things that make them feel well and safe enough to do that. Debbie, from a Canon perspective, have you got any reflections on that psychological safety phrase?
1: We were very, or have been very aware that our employees have had so many things that they've been trying to juggle through this time. Things like homeschooling young children, caring or supporting family members who may have been ill or are vulnerable or are shielding. There might have been people who have actually been poorly with the virus. So those sorts of things that our employees have been having to deal with, we've really tried to respect that and help them Recognize that it's okay if, you know, they're having to be flexible with their working hours or they're having to take time out. And what we've really noticed is that actually our employees have really wanted to demonstrate that they've been doing a really good job. They've been really passionate about helping the business and focusing on the things that they can to help the business in a difficult time. And equally, we've then been trying to reiterate that it's okay to be working differently and also recognize that everyone will find some days harder than others you know I've certainly through this period had days where it's all seemed a bit much and it's been harder to kind of get through the day and then other days you feel really in control and able to cope with things so I think it's that knowing that there's that expectation every day is going to be a bit different and that's okay and we're all going to feel differently through that
0: that's really uh, interesting reflection thanks Debbie I'd like to move on, if I may, and just um, go a bit more into the mental health question. And Johnny, you're not only a mental health champion, of course, you're also a finance director of a large global enterprise. I just reflect that that's probably not a typical position that most people would expect a mental health champion to hold within an organisation. So keeping this financial perspective in mind, how do you look at that expectation you mentioned earlier that mental health will be a number one disease by 2030?
2: It's a huge societal issue, there's no question. And mental health, sadly, doesn't discriminate by country. And, of course, no matter where you are in the world, you're likely to be affected by mental ill health in some way, shape, or form, or society is um, within those various different groups. And to make matters worse, if you're living in a developing country, you've got a lot lower likelihood to get access to mental health support and the right services. Whereas in richer countries, the privileged will see much higher rates of of, of access to mental health support. So it is a huge societal issue. But it's also a massive cost to business. And if I've put my, my finance director hat on for a minute, it really is quite startling. But also, there is a huge opportunity if we get this right, if we invest. If I offered you £9 right now, for giving me one pound in your pocket, I suspect you would take it. And if I offered you six pounds for one pound in your pocket, I also suspect you would take it. What about four? I still think you might take it. And that is what some studies show is the return on investment for investing in mental health prevention. And in the UK, the cost is over 40 billion pounds alone within UK business. And we see that across presenteeism or across absenteeism. And on average, they might say that one in three UK sick notes is driven by a mental health issue. Costs of that scale, but also a massive opportunity potentially to get a return on investing in mental health prevention. Clearly, you can see the stakes are quite, are quite large.
0: Uh, you, you mentioned the total cost there of £40 billion. What would a typical organisation's sickness bill be when you relate it to mental health?
2: Well, it depends on the organisation. That you're in but typically they might say that that one-third of uk signals driven by mental health issue but of course that in some respects could be underplayed or overplayed because if you're feeling down or you're feeling depressed you know are you likely to phone up and say you're feeling that or i know people that will just phone up and say i've got a cold i'm not coming in today and that's the challenge so i think some of the statistics are quite challenging as well and that's why i take it up a level and say morally it's a huge issue. It's a massive societal issue. And in general, we know it's a huge cost. And also we believe there's a return in investing. And that's why I love to see organizations get behind us in a really authentic way. And I could share a story with you of Pladis, the global snacking business, where I was incredibly fortunate to be the strategy and transformation director. And I remember at the time, we spoke about this one in three, and we said, you know, is there an absence challenge there? But I think you can also very quickly move away from some of these individual statistics and say there's a much bigger thing at play here that we could actually try and support our colleagues. And the business had signed the Time to Change pledge. And that was in response to a sad event where somebody in one of the sites took their own life. And that, you could see, had a huge impact. And clearly, the questions arose that said, well... Could people have done things differently? You know, could people have seen, seen that coming? So when the pledge was signed, it was signed from a place of we actually wanted to do something. And having my own lived experience of mental health challenges and surrounded by friends and family with mental health issues, I really do see this, the challenge. And as you can imagine, I naturally gravitated towards the efforts of the pledge and put my hand up to be a, a mental health and wellbeing ambassador. I became very fortunate to become the, the sponsor of the program. And ultimately, the aim was to try and create an environment to support people in tough times, but also promote positive mental fitness. And that language piece was really, really important as well to get that right. And as we went through our journey, we kept coming back to this concept of having conversations. And when do you have a conversation over, you know, usually over a, over a cup of tea? And what you have with a cup of tea, a biscuit? And there it was born. Tea talk and a biscuit. And of course, when you have the nation's favorite biscuit brand at your disposal, surely it's got to be a McBitties biscuit. And it was incredible. Tea talk and a biscuit. And that then went on to a partnership with McBitties in Mind. And be kind to your mind was seen across millions of homes, whether it was up and down the country and transport networks and in the newspaper, etc. And that message of be kind to your mind with McBitties in mind really resonated. And it was all about having a conversation. And the Let's Talk campaign was really resonated. And like I say, seen up and down the UK. And of course, it it supported Mind itself, but hopefully got the conversation going. And I think that's what's most important right now is to to talk about our mental health, talk about how we can support people in tough times, but also promote positive mental fitness.
0: Johnny, do you think that what's happened recently uh, has accelerated that or has it hampered it?
2: It's a really interesting question that I think in first instance it's accelerated it because actually what it's done is it said it's okay to talk about health and it's accelerated our need to talk about health, but not just health, but mental health. How are we feeling? And think of the conversation now about things like burn-in or burnout, about people working incredibly long hours and the impact that may have on our stress and our anxieties and look at how much Mental Health Awareness Week really resonated Across the country with the theme of kindness. So, I definitely think we're talking about it more. And I also think doors open to talk to the C suite about it. That said, there'll be a reality that starts to come as we go into potentially an economic crisis in some particular industries, um, or we might see an economic downturn. And we'll see heightened degrees of unemployment. And all of these things, there's a risk that some organisations may revert to type, or there's just less focus, there's just less money to promote this agenda. And I think we have to be really careful about keeping the focus up because never has it been so important. That point about psychological safety, that point about how do we support people in tough times. Look how the the population is feeling. The world's feeling. It's feeling anxious. It's feeling stressed. It's it's feeling really challenged by what's going on. And I think organisations have got a conscious choice that they could potentially make, but it's not easy because if you are in a tough industry and you're going through tough times. You don't have a huge amount of resources. It's really, really tough. And that's where leadership will play an important role.
0: Thanks, Johnny. Uh, Debbie, I, I wonder if we've got any examples in Canon of, you know, how we've engaged with um, the mental health subject with our staff and got people, as Johnny said, talking about it more.
1: About three or four years ago now in Canon, we decided that it was really important to have The mental health agenda is a key part of our well-being strategy. Um, So we've invested a lot and done a lot of work over these last few years on the mental health um, agenda. And two key objectives really for that. One was to, um, as Johnny said, to support our employees in the business. And the other really important objective was to try and help break down the stigma of mental health in the workplace. And I mentioned earlier that we have a network of mental health champions. So we've built that up over the years. And so even at a leadership level, we're very much engaged in this topic. That's really helped us, I think, during this pandemic because it's been actually very Easy and comfortable for us as an organisation to communicate with our employees about mental health during this time, and we've been able to reiterate and share a lot of the materials and the the virtual workshops that we've had available. We've also partnered with a charity. In fact, that's where um, we first met with Johnny through the Lucy Rayner Foundation, um, and that's been great to be a part of that. And our employees. Are really keen to and really positive about the engagement on this topic. And when we first launched our sort of mental health agenda and strategy a number of years ago, we got so much positive feedback from people, which really demonstrated that this is real. You know, there's a lot of people suffering or they have family members that are suffering. So for us to be able to really support them and, and break down the stigma and enable people to talk more openly has been really positive across the piece. And, and for Canon, it continues to be definitely an important part of our, our wellbeing strategy.
0: And Debbie, do you agree with Johnny's earlier, when we were talking earlier about um, psychological safety, Johnny mentioned some positives about, um, you know, if people feel safe, which they want to do, that has a direct impact on organisational performance, on things like product innovation and on people's behaviour at work. Do, Do you agree with that sort of the possibility that exists for investment in mental health to really have a positive impact on performance?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And and people feeling comfortable to talk about things. So instead of, as Johnny mentioned, ringing up and saying, I've got a cold, I can't come into work. Actually, if we've created an environment that they feel safe in, that they can have the conversations, that means that we can help them through those difficult times and help them to be able to return to work perhaps more quickly or continue working through it, yeah, I think it definitely has a, a direct impact on on productivity and performance.
0: Thanks. That's great, Debbie. Um, Johnny, what more could we be doing to um, motivate organisations and encourage them to do more?
2: I would love to see organisations obviously do more in their space. and Some, some do a great job already, but I think on the whole, we could always do more. And I think, I think the point is right. Vulnerability is one of the key components. I think when we have vulnerable leaders, when we're able to talk about things, that can really help move us forward. Language is also another thing, which I think is really important. I remember when we first went around talking about mental health at Pladis. And every time I said those words, mental health, I could just feel the stigma drop out my mouth. I could literally just feel it drop on the floor right in front of me. And when we when we started to ask other people about, well, what would you call it? What does it mean to you? We came up with different forms. And we ended up calling the program at PLADIS Positive Minds. And when I started talking about Positive Minds, I started an awful lot more engagement. And that's when I realized the importance of language in this as well. And actually, it really helps to break down The stigma. And the third thing, coming back to the point around Mental Health Awareness Week and what we saw with kindness, is what can we do more around being kind? And that's everything from being kind to all of our colleagues, being kind to our communities. And on a whole, I think people want to be kind. They love being kind. In fact, there's some brilliant statistics out there that show that being kind can actually help you live longer by the way it interacts with some of the, the hormones in our bodies. So it's a great thing. And whether you're giving kindness or receiving kindness, I think that's another really important attribute that we could do more of to really encourage and, and, and motivate organizations to think about the environment that they are really putting people in. And I think if you can do kindness well and you can do vulnerability well and you can get the language right, I think that plays really well in the whole space of mental well being and wider well being for that matter.
0: I think that's a really interesting comment on the language thing. I I like the way you keep using the word kindness as well, Johnny. I think that's a really powerful word to use. Okay, thank you. I'm just going to um, bring in Nicola, if I may, here. Um, Nicola, we talked earlier about how we'd handled the lockdown when it first happened and how we've handled the mental health issues that have arisen. And before we move on to the next phase of the conversation, I just wanted to ask you, I know this is your special area Debbie talked earlier about virtual learning programs and how we'd um, invested in supporting our staff in a number of different ways from a learning and development point of view. I just wonder if you want to say a little bit about that now.
3: I think Debbie made a really good point earlier when she talked about how at the beginning of lockdown, we recognised that the health and well-being of our employees was paramount. And we really saw um, within our people development space, that was where we needed to focus our time and attention. So, what we did was we looked at a couple of workshops that we had traditionally delivered face to face and how we could transfer those online so that we could remain connected to our employees and give them some learning opportunities, um, particularly in things that were going to help them with their own well being. What we found was during those workshops, people were a lot more open to sharing their own experiences and, and, particularly, around stress management they were happy to share personal stories and it was something that we hadn't always seen in the face-to-face workshops and I think where Debbie and Johnny have talked already about the stigma of mental health and how initially a few years ago when we started discussing that subject in the workspace there was a huge stigma and people didn't really want to to come forward that is definitely changing And it seemed to be that although everybody's circumstances are different, everyone is in an unusual place at the moment. And that's given people a level playing field through which to, to share how they're feeling. And they felt more comfortable to do that so it, it's good that we've had the opportunity to deliver learning that is is focused on wellbeing that helps people professionally so when we look at productivity you know there's a, a huge element of wellbeing in that if you don't look after yourself and and make sure that you're performing at your best your productivity is going to suffer so you know that's a, a good thing for the business for people to be focusing on that so that's where we started our our efforts um in the learning and development space.
0: So thanks Nicola and are we planning to utilise what we've learned about virtual learning and development programmes into the future? I mean obviously we, we had to do it for the period but is there, is there plans to almost reinforce that as we m- move into a more normal working environment?
3: Yeah, without a doubt, Bob, we've learned a huge amount about what's possible. Things that we assumed before wouldn't work. You know, we always assumed that a, a longer virtual online workshop wouldn't be the same as a face to face one. And, and you do lose some things, but then you gain with others. So as we move forward and, and people start returning into the workspace, we will always make sure that we have the online options as well.
0: Fantastic. Thanks very much, Nicola. And uh, you give me a perfect opportunity to open up the next part of the conversation, which is all about the return to work. And, you know, the situation that many businesses are facing now or in the very near future, including all of us around the table here, is the workforce returning to work. Now, I guess there are many versions of it. But Johnny, can I start with you? How do you see this return to work pattern happening? What's happening in your business? and, And how do you see it happening across the piece?
2: Return to work is clearly a huge issue that's on everyone's minds, both in terms of the individual and the, the colleague coming back into work and also about management and leaders and how do we create a safe environment for people to do so. And even when, when I talk to my team, there's real mixed views about how people feel about it. I've got a number of new people in my team, for example, that are quite keen to come and meet other members of the team. They haven't seen them. They're not that human connection. I've got other people who perhaps are in totally different circumstances. They live with a vulnerable member of of their family, for example, or they're just nervous and anxious about taking public transport and they're they're less keen. So I, I do think everyone will have their own view on this. And I think, therefore, it's quite difficult for businesses. How do you satisfy everybody in that whole situation? What I'm observing with organizations that are doing this well is that they're really starting to paint a vision of what it looks like on the other side of the crisis, actually conveying a message of reassurance, or at least that they're really focused on what that looks like from a real health and safety perspective for them and also for the organization as well. And I think that's quite empowering because I think it helps people feel and think about how do they fit in with that? And when does it work for them to come back as well?
0: Thanks, Johnny. And I guess there's something in there about um, how an organisation adapts and accepts that those various versions of what people mean by return to work are all acceptable and that we can manage them all. Complex and difficult to do, but probably vital in terms of people's mental fitness, to use your phrase, Johnny. Debbie, do you want to just talk about how Canon are looking to adapt to these various types of return to work?
1: Yeah, thanks, Bob. It's a really interesting and and not an easy topic, actually. No. You know, in, during recent months, we've had a, a variety of different scenarios going on in our business. So, we've had uh, some employees that have been on furlough. And in contrast, we've had other areas of the business where employees have worked all the way through. And in fact, in many cases, been busier than ever. So, these employees have really experienced periods of intense pressure. And then of course you've got the piece where, you know, within the same function, some employees are on furlough and some aren't. And the, the challenges that that, that that creates as well as an organization, you know, coming back to work, whether it's coming back off, um, from being on furlough or actually then moving more into starting to kind of go back into the office, um, space and, we've kind of worked in, um, or we're working in a three-phase plan. And and these have been very much in line with government guidelines as well. So, following government guidelines, which of course is absolutely essential. So, phase one has been the phase that we've been in um, up to now, really, where people have been working from home. We've had a few people um, still either working on site, because that's their requirement of their role, or some of our Engineers, for example, have had to continue to go into some of the key customer sites. Um, so we've had a variety of, of scenarios going on, as I said. But as, as we've kind of moved through phase one, we've then got to the stage where we've started to make, for example, our headquarters and some of our, our showrooms COVID secure. So we've we're sort of moving through the phase now where we've got a couple of locations open. And we then said to employees, well, we recognised that some employees were really struggling with being at home, actually, and, and being productive. So, as we moved forward in phase one, we then started to say, okay, once we've got the office COVID secure, then we will allow a few of those people that fall into that category back into the office on an ad hoc basis. And we very much, we've got guidelines in place that all employees need to abide by. And we've got the safety and everything that you would expect in the office. And then Phase two, when we're actually going to move to a phase then where we start to encourage employees back to the office, but we know that we've got a reduced capacity in our offices, in all of our offices. So, we'll need to do that, if you like, on a rotational basis. And we also recognize, as Johnny quite rightly said, you know, people will feel differently about that and do feel differently about that. Some people are desperate to get back in and to get some face-to-face time and have a different working environment for a day or two. And others have huge anxiety around that. And our role is to really help support people through that because ultimately we want to get to a phase three, which we hope to be able to start in January, is to move to what we're calling a more hybrid way of working. So, how we see the hybrid way of working play out is that we would have employees coming into the office for some of the week. And those times, we know there are benefits in relation to collaboration, face-to-face time with other people. And those are essential times, but also balancing that with, with some time working at home um, so hopefully being able to balance and have the benefit of some time in the office and some time working from home we hope to see will work for for many of our employees of course if people want to spend more time in the office then that's absolutely fine as well but we recognize employee expectations are going to be very different moving forward and we would like to adapt our organization in that respect as well thank
0: you debbie that's very insightful Johnny, do you think that some of the positive changes we're currently seeing and experiencing around mental health awareness are transferable to the new post-pandemic world?
2: I think that's a great question, Bob. And absolutely, COVID-19 has been an accelerator of change for so many different reasons, whether it's technology, but also I think in this space, because what it's done is it's forced a lot of organisations to move things online. And actually that way you can get more scale and you can probably roll things out a little bit quicker as well. And it's also given us new ways to access the conversation and to access a wider network. And all organizations will find us. So I definitely think it is. And whether it's things like e-learning around mental health is is transferable. Clearly, there's a role for face-to-face, particularly in part of the topic. But there's also lots you can do from an e-learning perspective, things like webinars and speaking. And we've done lots of things. And and you mentioned it earlier on, Nicola um, and Debbie, around some of the things that, that you've done to support people around conversations, around coffee tastings and, and coffee mornings. We clearly do an awful lot of coffee tasting, as you can imagine, whether it's around things like online yoga and Pilates. Yeah, you name it, I think you can do it. And I think it's, it's forced people to think a little bit differently and also to be brave and to take some risks.
0: That's great, Johnny. I'm um, very keen now just to move into a little bit more about the new reality and what what things look like post pandemic. And I um, wonder if I can ask all of you and perhaps I'll start um, with you, Nicola. How do we make our organisations fit for that future, whatever it is?
3: I think one of the main things that we need to keep in mind is we need to be adaptable. We didn't see this coming, it came out of the blue, yet we have managed to adapt quickly. So I think we could learn from that and make sure that we are in a state going forwards to be able to do that again if we needed to. I think we've learned as well not to make assumptions on what will and won't work. We've given things a try that we wouldn't have done before. And as Johnny's just said, the COVID situation has accelerated a lot of things, uh, particularly around a digital workspace. We've made huge progressions in that area. So that's something good that we can take forward. Um, Something for me that I think is really important is the connection with people. We have... Lost a lot through not having that. And when we get towards the phases of working, such as the hybrid phase that Debbie mentioned earlier, I think those opportunities to connect with people, we mustn't take those for granted. We now know how important they are through not having had them for some time. As we said, it's become easier for people to talk about mental health. And now that those conversations are happening and are established, we should really, really make sure that they continue. Um, and we keep building on the positive work that's happened in that space.
0: Thanks Nicola, that's a a great answer. And Johnny, these new ways of working that uh, you've been talking about, um, how can we pass all of this on to others? How can we translate this to the networks and the communities that we belong to so that uh, we can spread the word? That's a great way to think about it Bob. And maybe it is about the shadow we cast. I
2: feel incredibly fortunate to be in a leadership position and how can we cast that right shadow and and pass that on? So maybe the question is how do we really put health and safety at the heart of what we do and then actually then try and put the health back into health and safety? Because like many businesses, if you look at how much you spend on health versus safety, I suspect um, one spends a bit more on safety and that's always been an ongoing piece. And how do you really get health and well-being into the the DNA of of what we do and also purpose, wider purpose. Because that sense of belonging, that sense of community that's come out, it's been so vibrant and has been that heightened sense of all of those things, community and belonging that we're seeing during COVID-19. How do we try and maintain that in the world that that we want? Because the equilibrium has shifted and it probably will shift. And maybe it's our opportunity to decide where that shifts to. And what behaviors do we want to role model? Perhaps if, if we do role model those behaviors and those things, maybe those communities and those other stakeholders
0: and people that we talk to, perhaps it might influence their way of thinking as well. That's great, Johnny. Thanks very much. Um, I'd like you to think about the one thing that the listeners to this podcast can take away that either from your personal or your professional or any other part of your life, um, that kind of underpins all of the wealth of subjects and topics that we've, dis- we've discussed during this uh, conversation. I wonder if I could start with you, Debbie.
1: I think it sort of floored us to begin with, but it's just been incredible the way everyone in different ways and, you know, different sort of walks of life have, have had to adapt. And, and I think that's the thing that I take away from it is how adaptable People can be, and certainly I've seen that within our organisation, um, how adaptable and, and supportive um, people have been to each other um, and, and kind of just open to things not always being perfect, but actually together we can find a way through it. And that makes us stronger as both individuals and as an organisation. Thank you, Debbie. What about
0: you, Johnny? One moment that really
2: stuck with me was just when we were easing lockdown. One of my friends was leaving their house and as he walked out the door, their 11-year-old daughter really started to get quite upset. And something that really occurred to me was that point about separation anxiety because they had spent like eight weeks together. They had never been apart. And then all the anxieties of leaving the house and all the, the risks that were out there really impacted that little girl and also impacted the mother as well. And I suppose the big thing for me is how do we take those learnings and how does that translate into how we want to operate and how we want to be seen to operate when we then go back out into our new normal and that point about what shadow do we then choose to cast and what actions do we choose to take?
0: Absolutely, Johnny. And lastly, Nicola. Would you be able to share your personal or professional takeaway with our listeners?
3: Yeah, sure, Bob. Um, And I think it's it's something that I've learned both professionally and personally throughout lockdown. And that is that each individual person will have different responses and different feelings to this situation and to the changes we'll experience going forward. And I would encourage people to to keep that in mind um, and to respect that. Because this is something that we've never been through before. We've all all experienced different emotional responses to this quite serious situation. And I think going forwards, we can learn a lot through listening to people and understanding how it's made them feel to ensure that, particularly as employees, they feel safe to say how they're feeling and how they're thinking and how their colleagues and people around them can support them.
0: Great, thanks Nicola. And Debbie, is there anything that you'd like to share, personal reflection that might be useful to our listeners?
1: Yeah, I think it's important that we we know when we're in one of those moments that matter. You know, examples were going into lockdown or Returning to work, or as we talked earlier, starting a new job with a new company. Um, and, and I think we should really pay attention to these moments that matter. As Nicola's just said, you know, everyone has different experiences, and equally everybody has different needs. And certainly one size doesn't fit all. And that's what we've tried to focus on as we've adjusted into lockdown and as we're starting to move out of that scenario, is that we need to respect and understand the different levels of support that uh, employees are going to need. And the other thing I think is it's important that as organisations, we really support our managers with this and provide them with the right materials, equipment, conversations, so that they feel well-equipped to support employees through these moments that matter. And for sure, there's going to be lots of different moments that matter uh, moving forward.
2: And one other point, Bob, that we touched on earlier is the use of language. And I've certainly found on my journey that language is important. I remember getting rejected time and time again for not necessarily using language that resonated. And I think if we can find the language that resonates with the audience, it can make a huge difference, which is why I often talk about mental fitness in business. And I find that can often get a different level of traction in some cases than say talking about mental health or perhaps mental well-being is the right word to use. But there's a whole host of words and the words I use are not necessarily right or wrong. But I think when we're cognizant of the language and how that will land depending upon the culture or the country or the environment that we're in, that can also make a huge difference.
0: Well, that wraps up our conversation for today. Johnny, Debbie and Nicola, thank you so much for a fascinating conversation on such a relevant and important topic. And thanks very much to everyone who's joined us today.